Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm your radio, radio show. I'm your radio, radio show. Hello and welcome to the Nile or Nine podcast. I'm Nile and I'm joined by Andrea Cleary. Hello. Hello, it is our 45th episode of the podcast. Uh, what should we just realize is rivaling the um, matching the uh, the number of the original run of the 99 podcast that finished in 2014. That is uh, is a long time ago. How many how many internet years is that? Um, One million. One million. Can I Uh, still listen to that somewhere? Uh, yeah, I have some of them. I don't have all of them. Some of them are up there. I'm going to go and listen. I'm going to listen <laughs> I, to all 45. I, I actually have them on a hard drive somewhere, um, and I keep trying to find them, but I must <laughs> dig them out. So what are we going to be doing this week? We're going to be talking about uh, the brand new album from Big Thief, their third album. Um, very interesting release we'll be talking about shortly. We have songs of the week from Flaming Lips, Violent Femmes, Mark Ronson, and more. Uh, but first, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about um, David Attenborough, because he is a music man. <laughs> yeah. He just turned 93 this week. He did, and doesn't he look great? He, isn't he looking well? Isn't he well? Uh, he's still working hard. Um, turns out he is launching a competition to find producers to remix his Gamelan field recording from 1965. Trey, what is this about? Yeah, so David Attenborough wants you in the studio with them, I suppose. Um, The original field recording comes from an album that he released uh, called My Field Recording from Across the Planet from 2018. And um, if any man can make an album of field recordings, it's David Attenborough. It's this man. Yeah. (laughs) The the Pete Seeger of the modern age. Um, Yeah, it's it's an interesting I didn't get that thing. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Field recordings guy from the early... 20th century I'll tell, I'll tell you later yeah, I, I think I think that's like one of those names I've heard but I've never actually investigated into what they are I have a what book do. Um, I'll give it to you <laughs> I have a playlist so this is um this is interesting um because I feel like remixing Gamelan is going to be really difficult so Gamelan 
for anybody who is unfamiliar, is the traditional music in Indonesia. And there is a few different styles, depending on whether you're playing Balinese, Javanese or Sudanese gamelan. And it's generally, it generally accompanies um, like cer- ceremonies, also dance, also this amazing um, like puppet show that they have there called Weiyang, uh, which is just absolutely stunning. I'd recommend like looking up a YouTube video of that. It's amazing. Miss Cleary, um, you know a lot about uh, gamelan. How um, come? Yeah, so the, I went to college and I um, had a lot of fun because I got the opportunity to play with the UCD. So there are two gamelan um so the, the name of like the ensemble itself, all of the collection of instruments is a gamelan. And Ireland has two gamelan, uh, one in UCD, uh, which was gifted by the Indonesian, um, what do you call it, ambassador. And uh, one with the National Concert Hall. Um, and they're really, really interesting. And yet during my time as a music student, I got to play it and learn about the really complex different rhythms of it and all of the kind of traditions around it and I'm very passionate about gamelan and so I'm like this is great because hopefully this opens people up to listening to gamelan and listen therefore listening to music that is very very different to what we would be used to here in the west even insofar as like like tuning and scales are completely different when you're playing gamelan there's like two main types of tuning one has like five notes in an octave one has seven notes in an octave all of the intervals are different um and it's often said that there are as many different tunings as there are gamelan so for a western i assume a western producer to take to take that on and make the effort to kind of learn about that different tuning systems I think will be really really interesting to hear I hope that we don't just hear you know a beat underneath it but I guess are they making the stems available what's happening um I'm not sure so it's um I I I, I'm assuming it's available um there must be something there yeah yeah. there's so it closes in I think the end of May um, and then there's a public vote on July, between July 19th and September 15th. So the public will get to decide whichever one they like from different producers. But, but it is open to the public. It's panel open to has been, uh, it's been judged by a panel including Karis Matthews, Ghost Poet, Hannah Peel, Giles Peterson and Matthew Herbert. Yeah. The latter two who are playing at It Takes a Village this weekend. Oh, there you go. There you go. That's where I'm going this weekend. So yeah, I just, I just think it's really cool. And I... I guess I'm I'm excited to hear what do I I hope that like a lot of the finalists are made available to us to listen to and just hear like different different ways that people interpret this and I hope that it's not only Western DJs and Western producers that get involved in this. Um, mm, yeah, it was interesting. The panel is definitely made up of UK-based musicians who don't seem to have any Balinese or Indonesian. Yeah, background that was something I, I found a bit strange. It, 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 might be it would definitely be useful to have some um indonesian experts on the panel i would say matthew herbert probably knows a lot about gamelan judging by his crazy music styles sure. um, and his ability to use a wider range of instruments and non-instruments in yeah. his music but yeah it would be interesting to see if that includes a panel of somebody who is actually very well versed in gamelan yeah. um, and yeah it's just great that field recordings are 
cool again. <laughs> as we could see Says from Andre Cleary. <laughs> I know. But there's other news um this week or this was around the last kind of week and a half. Um there was a song in the UK charts which entered at number 11 called Let Nature Sing and it's just a collection of bird song which is one of the it's free music. You walk outside and you hear nice birds. Um, Didn't Derek Mooney from RT do something like that recently? Oh, like the I'm last not sure. few years where he did like some bird song stuff. Yeah, um, ma- you know, maybe. Makes sense. It's a busy world. We're all looking for Don. He has a show called Don Chorus, isn't he? There's something like that. I'm yeah. Not sure. Yes, he's been doing that. But they do like live shows um, around that. So, mm. um, yeah. Well, this was, um, was recorded actually, and released. It was actually on last Sunday. Oh, there, there you, you go. go. <laughs> uh, this song was recorded and released by the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds um, with the hopes that it uh, raises awareness about endangered birds in the UK. And they seem to be overwhelmed by its charting at number 11, which is very exciting. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take much to get into charts these days, yeah, but still. But birds did it, you and, know. And, you know, maybe this is part of a, the, the trend of, of ambient music as, as concentration and background and, and relaxation music. Sure, and I, I think it also speaks to music as being an act of kind of, um, you know, u- using music in this way to raise awareness about something. That's something that we've seen a lot of lately to do with like climate change, especially. We're going to talk about that in a moment as yeah, well. Um, but I forgot to ask you mm-hmm. on a personal note, how was you, we actually didn't say it on the podcast last week. I don't think at any point do we ever say we were, uh, you were rushing out the door to go see the Antlers. Oh yeah. So I went to the Antlers gig in the Sugar Club last Tuesday, um, which was, uh, it it was, it was. So if, if anyone's listening and they were there, you know what I mean. It was an absolutely transcendent and moving experience to just sit and listen to these songs. You know, it was completely stripped down. It was a one electric guitar, one acoustic guitar, um, Pete Silverman, um, and uh, a very, very small little drum set. And I think I sat too close to the stage. I was like... <laughs> That's usually, I was like basically, usually a good thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I... I I could have done with being further back. It, there's something about, you know, being essentially in the front row and making eye contact the odd time with Pete Silberman, who's just singing about, you know, the topics of um, hospice. And I just, by the end of it, there just wasn't a dry eye in the house. It was... You were balling. It's carnage, like absolutely carnage. Like I, I looked around at the end and everyone was in bits, like yeah. everybody was in bits. And it was an amazing experience because everybody who knows and loves that album kind of brings their own history and their own thing to it. And it was a very kind of... Um, so what is the background to the album again? I know I was reading it last week. Um, I wasn't... A f- a huge fan it's just but i remember what's the backstory of it is like um he, so it was writ. It, it's a concept album that he he doesn't outrightly say that it is you know based on true events but it's pretty much taken that it was um and it's a concept album about a hospice worker who's looking after a um a sick woman who's dying of cancer in a hospital um, and their sort of ensuing romance. And then as the woman dies, um, it kind of turns into this very strange, very out there um, experience 
it's um then there's also like stuff to do with like an abusive relationship in it it's got all these like layers of meaning and it's a very difficult album to kind of explain narratively because there's so much kind of going on in it but it's one of the most kind of beautiful and heart-wrenching albums um I've ever heard I remember I was uh it was like a few days before it and I was talking to my friend and she was saying that uh, she was like oh yeah I'm really looking forward to Antlers you know you you were the one that introduced me to that album and I was like oh I'm really sorry <laughs> and she was like oh good <laughs> it's a it's a hard album to recommend to people yeah um but, but me, also still has a lot of fans clearly. yeah yeah like di- die hard fans yeah. um and it was beautiful it was a really special moving gig Good. It's great. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm yeah. glad you enjoyed it. From um, one special moving gig to another. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of moving gigs yeah. going on. But we were speaking about uh, music being used to raise awareness. And there's a lot of talk in the last couple of weeks uh, as we lead into the Eurovision about uh, where it's taking place. It is taking place in Tel Aviv in Israel this year on May 18th. And uh, for the last probably nine months, there has been calls from prominent figures um, all around the world. Um, But just speaking in an Irish context, well, first of all, uh, in an international context, there have been a lot of artists who put their name to this, even uh, uh, sent a letter to the BBC saying they shouldn't be doing it. Here we've had a lot of uh, um, musicians um, who are have been calling for a boycott of the Eurovision. Um, there has been a lot of talk about it in Ireland, specifically, I think, because of our own history and our own past and a conflict we have. And we see a lot of conflict in, obviously, um, between Israel and Palestine, and that is unresolved. And it's something that... Um, you know, there are human, human rights issues. There are so many different um, facets to that conflict that um, it is a tough one. Um, the Eurovision is going ahead in Tel Aviv on the 18th of May, but it hasn't stopped. The Late Late Show had a debate about it recently. Uh, not really much of a debate, really, but... Well, no, given that the decision uh, of Orti is to televise the, the show. So, it you know, it's... That's, the producer that's, that, that's essentially of the, the Irish decision. version of the Eurovision, Michael Keeley, says that the RT have to remain impartial. Yeah. Um, possibly true. Um, but it is an interesting thing to explore, especially with Ireland's history uh, recently with, you know, like the likes of the Dunn Stores workers and mm-hmm. anti-apartheid strikes uh, around that. We have had a history of, of pushing back on this, even in the Dáil. Um, the Dáil recognised the state of Palestine almost five years ago and the Shannon has has a bill to ban the import and sale of goods and services from illegal settlements such as um, uh, we're talking about here in Israel. So, um, and elsewhere, there is an Icelandic act called Hatari who are playing it this year who says Israel is apartheid um, while there has been opposition to this. Um, Stephen Fry, Scooter Braun, for some reason, got involved and (coughs) denounced a proposed boycott in recent years. We've seen the likes of Nick Cave say, and Radiohead criticized for playing the territory. Uh, I remember being at the Radiohead gig at Arena last year. There was protesters outside was, that, yeah, yeah. Uh, highlighting the issue. Um, Brian Eno wrote a letter to Nick Cave uh, asking him not to. And his response, which is worth a, a, a read because it shows you the fractured nature of the discourse around this topics. He says he supports uh, the Palestinian state. And yet he felt like he wanted, he should play there because 
it shows you that it's no, it's not always a black and white issue for some, but it mm. is for a lot for others. Yeah. Um, okay, so having said that, the Eurovision winner uh, from 1994 who won with um, Rock and Roll Kids, Charlie McGettigan, was amongst those calling for a boycott of the Eurovision. Um, he acknowledged that the chance of a boycott making a significant difference was minimal, saying it's a chance for the whole of Europe to who are involved in the Eurovision to make a statement and sort of say, look, we don't agree with this. Now, there has been a petition by the Ireland-Palestinian Solidarity Campaign uh, asking for a boycott. Uh, we have a Clare singer called Sarah McTiernan entered into, uh, she is going ahead with it, I think, I presume. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any question that she's not going to perform or she's going to boycott um, the Eurovision. Um, meantime, um, there has been accusations from Palestinian artists, journalists and civil society groups saying that um Israel regime of military occupation, settler colonialism and apartheid, which is shamelessly using Eurovision as part of official brand Israel strategy. Now, also, this is one of the things that um, is trotted out when this when this conversation is brought up. It's like, you know, it's a Eurovision is a cultural event and it shouldn't mix with politics. Um, but there is a couple of problems with that argument. Um not least because of whatever the Israeli uh, culture ministers has said about propaganda and culture and using culture as a tool to promote um, mm-hmm. Israel, regardless of what's happening there. Um, the main thing here is that regardless of the Eurovision itself and all of the countries taking part, here's an example. Madonna is performing at the interval. Um, she's performing two songs and her appearance was announced by local promoters uh, Live Nation Israel who said the this is bizarre first of all said the performance would be both historical and hysterical mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't really know what they mean by that um, mm. but here's the thing um, Madonna is performing it is going ahead because uh, the performance which uh, she asked for basically one million dollars to play it and uh, the Eurovision council or whoever's in charge of it don't have that money it has been paid by canadian billionaire sylvan at adams who frequently finances festivals and concerts in the country in order to push back against boycott divestment and sanctions so here we are we have somebody who's paying for madonna to play at the eurovision uh, who is directly uh, involved in uh, the politics of the uh, in and culture of of israel mm supporting artists going there to, in order to, as he says himself, a self-appointed ambassador at large for Israel. Uh, he's brought the Giro Italia there recently and uh, he sees it as a tremendous way to boost tourism. I think the more people we bring here, the more people see our true nature and the true beauty of our country and our people and the freedom and openness and tolerance and safety of our country. Mm. Now, that sounds to me like they're, first of all, freedom and openness and tolerance. Okay, questionable, very questionable. Uh, but I think the larger point here is that that is an issue. Um, you can't have a Eurovision taking place. And no matter how much fun it is and how much like people get behind it, 180 million people are due to watch it. And I don't think it's going to stop it. But the point is to be raised. There is some local artists like Christy Moore and we mentioned um, uh, Mary Coughlin and people like that who are doing some gigs um, in... Uh, support of Palestine uh, on the same night. There's one at the National Stadium in Dublin. There's one on Donegal. There's one on Tipperary. Um, you know, I admire the people and the artists for saying and standing up for this because even though it doesn't seem like it's going to make much of a difference, um, 
I think it's important to recognize that, you know, there is, it's definitely mixing politics and culture in a propaganda way that is problematic. Yeah, for sure. I think it's, it's obviously such a complex thing when you, when you're in a situation where politics does seem to equate to culture and especially, you know, given what we know about the Madonna performance there and given what we know about Israel's stance on what the Eurovision is going to do for the country. Um, I have my personal views on it. Um, I don't feel like I would articulate them pretty well um, or well enough to be broadcast. So I'll just say well, that. Well, we're I, not a politics podcast. Yeah, that's exactly. Not so really like, I mean, per- discuss, personally, so. I, I support the boycott and I'm disappointed that more countries didn't um, didn't pull out of support for it. Um, but I think it does raise a lot of issues or uh, raise a lot of interesting questions about um, a, a lot of the discourse around it, um, especially on, on, on one side of the of the argument would say that, you know, the Eurovision is supposed to be an event where people are brought together. Um, obviously, the history of it was that it was set up after World War Two in order to unite European nations Um in a kind of cross-cultural celebration. I don't think that rings true anymore. And I don't think that that's been the case for a long time. I think that the Eurovision has been a political night um, for a very, very long time um, across the board, you know, across voting, across performances. Um, Particularly in voting, yeah. Yeah, particularly in voting. They had to instigate a new system to stop block voting and people from voting for their neighbouring countries. You can't get a situation where people are representing countries and not have it be political. The same thing happens with the World Cup. And there, and there was a, there was a, uh, there was supposed to be, or there was a call for a boycott of the World Cup the last time it was on because it was being held in Russia. Um, obviously that didn't happen because it's the World Cup. Like you, like, and it's run by FIFA. <laughs> it's run by FIFA. Like there's no, <laughs> Who we know have a history. Yeah, of, uh, and and I think that problematic behavior. Let's yeah, say. let's let's say yeah. that. Um, but it's and it's the same thing here. Um. It's I I don't believe it's anything to do with promoting co- cross cultural uh, relations. I don't believe it's anything to do with bringing people together. I believe it's the same thing as the World Cup, and I believe it's the same thing as all these things, which is that it's money. Um, and once you bring money into it, and once you bring nations into it, that's politics, and you can't separate those two. So it's just it's it's disappointing that um, we are sending someone. It's disappointing that it didn't um, spark a. I suppose a, a, a domino effect, or that's another nation didn't spark a domino effect of um, of boycott. But here we are; it's going to go ahead, and the I think Irish for most people, song they, is they, shite. They, so. well, yeah, I think for most people they wouldn't even notice a lot of this stuff. They may have heard some of it. The fact that it was on the late late was at least something. Um, but but I, the, I I found that debate ridiculous and tedious. Oh, it wasn't to be a honest. debate. It, it wasn't a debate. There was there but, was one side of so somebody you know spe- speaking frankly and intelligently, and then the other side of the debate was Asher. Ah, sure, it's all a bit of crack. Rory Cowan from uh, Mrs. Brown's Boys was yeah, talking about that. that wasn't that, a debate. So. And do you know that so you have to support your country? Like yeah, that's not, there's um, there, there's an opportunity for nuanced debate there. Like there's yeah. there's an opportunity for someone to go well, on. The late there. late is probably not the uh, the the place for it. No, it isn't. It um, isn't, and that's a shame. But it does seem to, strangely, like Charlie McGettigan, who was one half of, of uh, that song, The Rock and Roll Kids, I think the other person um, actually wrote the song for this year. Right. So that's a bit awkward. <laughs> that's a bit yeah. of an awkward uh, situation to be in. Um, but yeah, um, it is a particular problem and uh, it's it was never going to be um, addressed in that way. But um, 
you know, I'm just glad to see people talking about it. I'm glad to see it. I'm surprised it's actually got as much traction as it did, which I think is important. Um, and look, um, that's the buzz. And uh, <laughs> that's the buzz. <laughs> I don't, look, the Eurovision is going to roll on no matter what. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, yeah, it is what it is, I'd say. By the time 18th of May rolls around, there's going to be a lot of people watching it who are not thinking about that. Although it's hard not to. I, I watch it every year and I'm not going to watch it this year. Okay. And I imagine other people are going to be the same. Will it make a difference? Probably not. But no. I just, I wouldn't be comfortable sitting in front of my screen watching no, it. I don't think it'll make honest. much difference to many people. Uh, oh, well. The there, Euro- there are other ways that we can support Palestine and, you know, you can Google that. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, cool. Uh, let's move on to songs of the week this week. We're going to start with our uh, our, our wacky, <laughs> the wacky flaming lips are back. Yay. <laughs> And they have a new song called All for the Life in the City. And the king saves the day. That was Flaming Lips, All for the Life of the City, is that that is what that is called, is from their 15th studio album, which is called King's Mouth, uh, on Warner Brothers, um, out in July 19th. What is the crack with this album? Well, it's uh, 12 new original songs that create a conceptual storyline, treaded together by the dulcet toned narration, you might have heard there, from Mick Jones of The Clash. Um, so the context for this album is it's actually soundtrack for Wayne Coyne's art installation of the same name. Of course it is. <laughs> of course, uh, which consists of a giant metallic head which welcomes spectators inside. Once inside, an LED light show begins in tandem with music from the album. Of course There's it does. also a hardback book called King's Mouth Immersive Heap Trip Fantasy Experience uh, to accompany this. So uh, we've talked to, in the last few weeks about uh, art, music artists being a visual artist also. Here we mm. have a complete multimedia artist. But from your mouth, Dre, is a song any good? I really like the song. I like the kind of it's it's a straightforward flaming lips song really. Like it's <laughs> a straightforward psychedelic. Yeah, but it's trip. it's unequivocally them, right? It's it's got that kind of choppy vocals. Um I really like the kind of rich guitar line in it. It's it's whimsical with a kind of a solemn edge in the lyrics. Like the lyrics are kind of ambiguously telling a story about a king who's been snowed under by an avalanche and it's all very kind of intriguing um, and I I just quite like the sound of it. Uh, it. It's really nice to hear new flaming lips in the world 
I don't get the impression that you're that mad about it. Is it? <laughs> is yeah. it really? <laughs> I, I'm a big um, Flaming Lips fan, though. Oh, look, I think the Flaming Lips are a rite of passage for a lot of people, you know, like their live shows. Uh, famously, it was the year at Oxygen where, um, was it Bowie who cancelled? Or the White Stripes or somebody like that cancelled? Oh, it couldn't have been Bowie who wasn't playing Oxygen. That would have been weird. I was uh, about to say. I think it was White Stripes. Yeah, White Stripes. This is what happened, yeah. Because the White Stripes cancelled. And Flame and Lift stepped in and they got the main stage opportunity to, to do their big show. And it was really, it's when Yoshimi Battles, the Pink Robots came out, came out and mm-hmm. started to, in Irish context, their like festival uh, reputation with the the Zorb Ball and people mm-hmm. dressing up um, in costumes and the bacchanalia of it and the joyful kind of experience that mm-hmm. a Flaming, uh, Flaming Lips show can be and presumably still is um i have not really been i've listened to some of their music in the last four or five years but i haven't i can't tell you anything about it mm. i don't think it really like it definitely didn't stick with me i know they did an album with miley cyrus and stuff like that um yeah, it i don't know what else is so this is kind of what do you like, think of the song though it's fine it sounds like an older flaming lips kind of song mm. but i guess i was never really interested in their more out there stuff like okay. it's an interesting story their story and and the things that they do and the multimedia stuff has always been interesting in some way mm-hmm. um but for example they played at a google event last week and uh, somehow managed to turn a bowl of fruit into a musical instrument oh yeah so that kind of thing it was like an instrumental where all of the the fruits it was uh, were um naming out what they were called like orange <laughs> yeah apple <laughs> it was like all right yeah cool so that's i guess that's where they're at i don't know uh their obviously their apex was um, the soft bulletin, and then I I loved Yoshimi at the time. Me too. I, I still out. love that album. Uh, I still listen to bought it. Bought the T-shirt, had a very cool T-shirt for a while. You know, I've never seen them live. Have you not? No. God, that's like asking, have you ever seen Nile Rodgers live? Uh, and I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> I've never okay. seen the Flaming Lips new, or Nile Rodgers. New, new podcast uh, yeah. mini series in, in future. Uh, Dre goes to gigs. <laughs> Dre goes to Flaming Lips and Nile Rodgers. I'll do it. I, I will go to Nile Rodgers this year promise yeah i promise okay. i will go we'll, we'll send you there and see yes, what you please. think <laughs> uh, yeah this is fine and like it's a flaming lip song that's about how i feel about it like, <laughs> i won't be going back to it um cool that it's a multimedia thing but i kind of feel like the substance of that um king's mouth multimedia exhibit and hardback and song is not something that personally I'm interested in. I look forward to your album review. Yes, indeed. <laughs> July 19th when that album comes out. We'll move on. Uh, we're going to play a crystal clear remix of Mark Ronson and Licky Lee's Late Night Feelings. And it sounds like this.
That was Late Night Feelings from Mark Ronson and Licky Lee, the Crystal Clear remix. Um, we are currently in the building where Crystal Clear houses his studio, so mm-hmm. he might be walking by in any moment. Oh. Um, I think I've actually heard him play this uh, a fair bit when he was working on it um, upstairs. And uh, yeah, I like it a lot. I like it a lot. It's kind of like, this is a dance floor, clubby kind of uh, pop vibe. Um, I can definitely imagine myself playing this at some point. Mm-hmm. What did you make of the original? I was just going to say that I'd be way more likely to put this on than the original song. I, I think. agree, yeah. Um, I think it's more fun. Um, it yeah. has a bit more of an edge that um, the original kind of lacked. Yeah, I wouldn't be like mad into Licky Lee generally. Mm, no? No, uh, th- not for any particular reason. I just never, I, I remember sort of trying to get into her once and I was like oh yeah there's a few songs here that I really like and then just never really felt the need to go back but um I do really really like this speaking of the Shirt Club uh, I did see Licky Lee's first gig in the Shirt Club oh there you go that was very good um I don't uh, I wanted to like her last album I didn't Mm. really like it I felt the same yeah um so I think you know sometimes when you see somebody live after you're kind of See, uh, after a lukewarm album, mm. and then you're like, this just doesn't work. Um, oh, that right. was Licky Lee at Primavera for me last year. She played quite a big stage, and it didn't really have translated at all. I felt, um, big fan of her first two albums, though. Yeah, um, I feel like some she's, of her third. she's able to write real, real good songs. So, yeah, I guess it's uh, probably a, a, a different vibe for her to be working with Mark Ronson. Um, and I, he, I love Mark Ronson, like, yeah. I, I do really, really rate him. As, have you as listened a producer, to the other so. new stuff? There was a, another song, obviously, the Miley Cyrus song. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, which was really. I know Luke here was a Luke's massive fan. Luke's favorite song of last year yeah. was one of those the Dimitri and Paris yeah. remix. I think um, uh, of that song. Yeah, we we did that song on um, a podcast that him and I did, and he was just gushing over it. Couldn't believe how much he loved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it is fantastic. It's brilliant. Uh, nothing breaks like a heart. That's that's what it is. So that is from a forthcoming album. Um, it's basically an album of sad bangers, apparently. So class. That's what we're getting. Uh, up next is a new song from the Violent Femmes. This is Hotel Last Resort. I don't change the chords anymore. The chords change by themselves. The time luxury affords anymore. That was Violent Femmes, song is called Hotel Last Resort. Uh, you may know the Violent Femmes from their in- classic indie disco hit, uh, Blister in the Sun. Yeah, from 1983. They're from Milwaukee, kind of a punk folk band. Um, they've had an interesting history the last few years, um, or last 10 years, maybe. There was a lawsuit between the band members uh, over Blister in the Sun when it was used in the Wendy's advert in 2007. Um, here's the thing. Uh, there is a chief songwriter of the band, um, but... 
he has full permission to give um, that song uh, to a sync to any ad. Right. Uh, but the band, one of the mem- the guitarists in the band, didn't agree and sued him. Um, the band ended up disbanding in 2009 as a result. Since then, it's been fairly acrimonious. Uh, the drummer left in t- after uh, recording the 2016 album, We Can Do Anything. And this is the first we've heard from them since they've now reunited, uh, presumably sans drummer, um, with a new album called Hotel Last Resort. Uh, this song features television co-founder Tom Verlaine. Um, so, Dre, you picked this one this week. I did. I kind of find it hard to describe what it actually is that I like about this song. I think I just have a thing for songs and albums about hotels. That's a very specific thing. Yeah. Are you a big fan of Hotel California? Um, Actually, that's one of the ones that I don't like as much. (laughs) Name some other ones. um, I liked um, the Arctic Monkeys record. Yes. uh, I liked the Father John Can we remember the title? Can we remember Um, Tranquility Hotel? Hotel Tranquility... Uh, Hotel Tranquility mm. Casino something. <laughs> Base and Casino? Something. No, I can't remember the title. Um, um, oh uh, yes, and... Uh, Mr. Uh, Tillman from Father John Misty. Sure, well, he, uh, he's one of your faves. Yeah, Chelsea Hotel, one of the best songs ever written. Um, I stayed in the Chelsea Hotel once. Did you? Very cheap. Oh my, is it? Yeah, it was, it was. Um, and now this, I guess. Um, I just sort of, I like the weird surrealism of the lyrics in it. Um how they kind of work with the twangy guitar, like how the vocals are sort of sneery and grating. I don't know. I just find it really, really charming. And I listen to it a lot over the past week. Really? Yeah. It's not Blister in the Sun. It's definitely not, but sure, that's not But like, I'm kind of glad it's not at the same time. It could be. No. I have a friend who keeps telling me to listen to The Violent Femmes and uh, I will, but I haven't yet really properly. Yeah. Um, But I won't start with this one again. (laughs) No, yeah. I'd say there, there are other jumping off point he says i don't change the chords anymore the chords change themselves well maybe you should try a bit harder do you think so <laughs> yeah i feel like this is like a song from a, a cover of a song from a tarantino soundtrack <laughs> that you hear recorded uh while you're passing by like a, a little shanty town <laughs> stage at a major festival that's like, what i like about right, it right okay but this is like everything i hate i kind of feel like you can walk into a really dingy bar and hear someone singing this yeah that's I, what it feels like i like not a good thing i like that about it okay what what i detest is your strength in the song exactly so that's, that's where we're at with this one differences yeah. sometimes anyway, they're, great that they're still going despite all of that um uh acrimonious uh, circumstances I guess right? I wonder could, we- could Wendy's play the song in their ad but without the guitar and it's just <laughs> the vocals and the clapping clap, clap. Yeah, yeah you could actually you probably would figure it out wouldn't you yeah but no uh, as the songwriter I can't remember the guy's name but uh, the chief songwriter he has full permission to do that um, so that's what happens when you're in a band folks band agreements they're very important if Make you have them, a problem with them. what the 100% uh, owned songwriter does in the band um, with your song Tough titties. Yeah. You can't really do much about it. That was Violent Femmes. Up next, we have a song from Cobina with Obscure Mond, and this song is called Shogani.
was Kobina with a new song called Shogani as premiered on the 99 website um, from the Four Poems EP. Bit of background for that. It is uh, Kobina is uh, the Irish man in Amsterdam, a producer, been come back with a couple of uh, tracks and uh, in on the lead up to this EP um, had a track uh, we also premiered called Does It featuring The Say uh, earlier this month and uh, so the uh, as the title suggests four poems it is taken took four poems uh, to vocalists and artists he wanted to collaborate with and expanded upon them and made music out of it so uh, I think this is lovely it also has a really uh, beautiful video as well which mm. won the first cut competition which is Feel Good Loss uh, video competition um, and it's uh, a video is entirely made up of uh, photography stills uh, and it really suits the mood of this track. I mm. love the vocals on this. Kind of reminds, like, it reminds me of Conor O'Brien a bit. Yeah, for me, I get like a kind of a Yancey Seeger Ross thing. It also reminded me of um, maybe the production more so on it of the song that Dahi did with uh, Paul Noonan Take the Wheel it's just that kind of really immersive oh, Jesus Take the Wheel Jesus Take the Wheel whichever um, yeah just that really kind of immersive warm cosy feeling and I think especially with the um, when you listen to it with the with the video in front of you you just you really really get sucked into it I think this is wonderful I think it's really really nice and I've I, I love the other song that he had from it as well and I'm really really looking forward to this EP for sure Very and the good. poem is beautiful too I'd never heard it before and yeah I did he write them Sean Cabina I I don't know that I, that I don't know we should check we'll that before to verify that. Um, <laughs> possibly um We'll check that one, but um, yeah, uh, I really like this song a lot, and uh, we were going to put it at the end of our podcast as a full track, but uh, we decided to feature it in Songs of the Week instead. Yes, I think it's a bit of a chat. one of the best songs of the week, easily. So. Yeah, well, you know, it was a it was a quiet week. Yeah. <laughs> I know, there was a couple of other songs we I had considered, like uh, the new Banks song, I don't think we talked about that last week. Uh, Anderson Pack and Flying Lotus had a new track out, which I really liked. Mm. Um Stormzy had a new song out today as well, which is fine. It's mm. fine. It's all right. Um, couple of other things. Um, I mostly new music from new artists that no one's ever heard of. I've been listening to in the last week. So, and to be honest, though, that's been really nice. Sometimes, when yeah. sometimes you're just like, oh, yeah, discovered some new music. That's what I'm trying to do. Good. <laughs> um, but new artists as well. So that is uh, Kobina, and that is the end of our songs of the week. Uh, we are going to move on to our album of the week. It is from Big Thief. And it's called UFOF. And here is a brief uh, bit of a song from it. Uh, this is uh, the opening song called Contact.
That was Contact from Big Thief from their third album by the band. They are a Brooklyn-based band. This uh, UFOF, we talked about this before. I think we featured this in one of their songs on the podcast before very recently in the run-up to the album. Uh, UFOF, the the last F stands a friend, or maybe all of them stands a friend. Unidentified friend of friend. Um, They are Adrian Lenker, Book Meek, Max Olachik, and James Crevenci. I can't pronounce their names, but... Adrian Lenker is fairly prolific, had an album, a solo album um, late last year. Two of the songs from that solo album uh, reappear here in a different form. The album was recorded in rural western Washington and pretty much recorded live in a cabin style room with just an engineer and producer. Uh, with the band having spent, they have basically spent, uh, built their reputation on their live shows mm. um, and uh, they seem to have a lot of diehard fans for their first two albums. With this one, they had been playing a lot of these uh, songs live. So when they actually went to record it, they recorded them in sometimes uh, just a few takes. And uh, it does, it is by far my favorite album of theirs so far. Um, Trey, what do you think of it? I absolutely adore this album. So I've I've been waiting for this album since like with bated breath since the release of UFOF, the single, which I think I I find it hard to imagine a better song that's going to be released this year than that song. Like it is so... High praised. Yeah, it, it's, I mean, it it beat out Sharon Vonnet in 17 for me, uh, which was my one to beat. Um, and it's, the album really, really doesn't disappoint. I think it's it's got this beautiful balance between being mysterious while also being really inclusive like it builds this really amazing world which is very other and very strange but you're still very much placed at this you the listener still very much placed at the center of it and you're you're being shown around it by um by Lenker in her lyrics and yeah it's it's just kind of it's an album that's kind of seeped into me like it's I've spent so much time with it over the past couple of weeks. Um, and the thing that I keep coming back to in terms of like imagining how it feels to actually listen to it is like the individual central images in each of the songs. They can be kind of complex and kind of strange because they're often told through like multiple points of view. But it does kind of feel like you're in a gallery and you're looking at a sculpture and you're walking around it and you're seeing it from all these different angles. And I think that that's what they managed to do here is that they managed to show you so many different complex perspectives of these other worldly themes and yet root them in something that people can kind of hold on to, you know, like ly- lyrically and musically. It it, yeah. it it does get very, very strange in both of those ways, but never never feels exclusive yeah i i the same qualities that um are the album strengths make it hard to describe it because Mm. it does it is like a very impressionistic kind of album it is something that it's not necessarily a background album but it's one that you kind of that is very happy to barrel along on on its own pace and it does feel like its own world Mm. um it's hard to put your finger on why works so well it's subtle and it's moving and it's never quite present in like the way you suggested like there you know it's like it's that kind of thing it's like a like a deja vu or something it's like yeah. that kind of idea where you're like something feel quite present but you're like really familiar with something in it um it's like doing um 
it's like doing meditation or hypnotherapy. It's just like it puts you in this other place mm. at that, uh, and it's really hard to figure out how you ended up there, yeah, or why you're there, or what's going on. Um, but you just kind of really enjoy the experience of it all. I totally um, agree. Yeah. Um, and so to be honest, that's kind of still where I'm at with it mm. uh, the, after the last couple of weeks. Um, I guess the background on why the music works so well is like a lot of the uh, band are Berkeley uh, School of Music musicians uh, and they're doing this kind of lush folk music and it can be very restrained, it can be very opaque, um, but musically and lyrically uh, it's not quite direct, uh, it's kind of slightly outside your field of vision mm. and I think that's why I keep coming back to it and I don't know where this is going to be in the end of the year list or uh, it's a bit too early to be talking about that, but mm. um, it certainly feels like one that is going to be having a lot of repeat plays. Um, it, it sets a mood really nicely and I hate just falling back on that idea, but mm. I think it, it's more than that. It's it's like uh, it does create its own place. It does. It's very impressionistic in that way and uh, that's its main values for me. I haven't delve and uh, do deep dive into lyrics or anything yet really but um yeah in comparison to their previous two albums i feel like this is it has the same qualities of as music of radiohead when they go in that um kind of acoustic direction that they're just do so well because they're such good players and such yeah. good arrangers that they they find this magic place that's just if another band tried to do it, they just couldn't do it that well. Mm. And they have found from the difference between the first two albums and this one, uh, a, a different sort of magic place, a different, less direct uh, way of, of communicating with their music that um, is at the core of why this is so good. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think it's it, it's within that kind of liminal space between this world and and another world that the album exists and I think it does that both musically and lyrically it, it's like it takes the best things about folk stories and folk as a concept where like we, we know here in, in in Ireland we we kind of slip in and out of colloquialisms we would talk about real world things and then slip in something about the banshee five minutes later and I think it's it's that kind of that colloquial slip in and out of reality is what is what folk stories folk music folk everything does and I think that it's alluded to and achieved so well on this album because of that kind of because of the music existing just left of traditional folk and not quite gone fully into the realm of you know experimental folk rock or anything it's just it's really liminal it's really it, it it's just it it sits in between something and something else and completely finds its own world. And then obviously the perspective of the album, of a lot of the points of view on the album, for example, the the main song um, or the title track UFOF, like the point of view in that is, you know, so willing and open to engage with strangers and, you know, new new worlds and willing to kind of push through with, hope I think because there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of addressing of trauma on this album and the idea that I kind of came came away from it with is just a presentation of you know look this this is the reason why you shouldn't go around it you should go through it because 
for all you know, there's a whole other world. And I think that they've created that whole other world and they've shown it to us through through this record. It's so special and it's so hard to like put your finger on yeah, it evokes. the mood that it manages to like stir in you. And it does, it, it, it's not even that you're sitting there and you're like, this is nice, it's making me think of this. Like it properly stirs things in you and, and it's it's just, it seeps in and I feel like this record's going to be a part of me for a very long time. Yeah. It kind of feels like the, you know, the idea of the gloaming, the magic hour, all those kind of magic pl- uh, times exactly. in a day that's yeah. just, it, it sits and fits in that kind of atmosphere that really yeah. works very well. So safe to say we're fans of this album. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, let's take another bit from a, a song from Big Teeth from the album. This is one of the ones that Adrian Lenker uh, recorded uh, on her solo album and uh, then re-recorded with the band it's called From was big thief song is called from from their album of the week ufof definitely check that out it is a very special album out today and uh yeah available on all platforms um yeah i wanted to i meant to say it earlier on and uh, we are recording this in a different room than where we normally record it so if there might hear, be new noises if you hear any whispering voices in the background or shouting for in that fact um we are actually in a different room of the building um closer to the to the street um so in case we i think we'll be here for the next few weeks anyway so um as there's been some work done in the building uh, on the roof and stuff like that so uh, just some housekeeping just just yeah just a heads up if anything <laughs> sounds different and you're suddenly hearing people you've it's, never heard it might before not be ghosts or background noise that's why mm. but i think it sounds okay so far i'm happy enough with it um yeah so that's it pretty much for our album of the week and the songs of the week um and it it remains for me to ask you dre what have you been listening watching and reading this week um so i 
have had a bad reading week again. Um, I'm very sorry. Don't oh, be actually, so hard on yourself. I know, I know. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to get better. I'm going to charge my Kindle. Um, listening, I've gone back to Beyonce's Homecoming a lot this week, and it's just growing and growing and growing as an album, um, as a purely auditory kind of um, affair on me. And yeah, just finding new things to love about it, especially um, I've been like out running more and I find it's it's an incredible running album, mainly because of that kind of <laughs> percussion, like steady marching beat that it has. I found that really motivating while I'm out and about. Um, and then watching, I don't know, I started watching Veep. Oh, this 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 chimes well with what I was going to talk about. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, so I've only watched the first kind of, maybe five or six episodes because they're quite short. Yeah, they're, um, you know, 20, they're like 20 minute kind of jobs. Um, and I really like it so far. It's great. It's I've very, been a big funny. fan of Eep and I'm watching the current series at the moment, which is the final uh, series. Um, and uh, Julia Lewis Dreyfus is a really good um, Veep in it. And mm. uh, But I had been watching in the last week uh, the original uh, UK series in the thick of it. Oh, um, yes. Which is... I prefer, and I think there's a couple of reasons I was trying to figure out. Is Veep out. based on that? It's the same writers, yeah. So they oh, basically just right. transported the idea to America. To an American audience, okay. Yeah, and the American political system. And I think why it doesn't, like overall, why I prefer the take of it is because maybe it's because we're a bit closer to the British political system, but it's about, you know, um, two sides um, of the political system um, and they're bickering and arguing. And in between, there's like the civil servants who work mm -hmm. there. And it does successfully move back and forth between the two uh, warring parties um, and their uh, bumbling uh, decisions and stupid uh, gaffes. And it, amongst it all, and and this is the, the key thing that probably... Uh, Veep is lacking compared to in the thick of it is Peter Capaldi yeah. and his Malcolm Tucker character who is just endlessly quotable and uh, just there's so many good lines I can't even remember any and like I've just it just makes me laugh out loud so much yeah. that I'm just like I love Glenn in it yeah. <laughs> I, Glenn absolutely kills me yeah like Oh, they're also good. He's they're just all so great pathetic. Like he's just yeah. the most pathetic character, and you feel so sorry for him. But they're all so horrible. I love Terry as well. Yeah, the civil servant Terry. She's yeah. just oh god, it's but, such a good show. But I think we're closer in humor to the UK. Yeah, as well, yeah, that's you know? perhaps right. Like you know, there's talk of like uh, trying uh, a sweaty octopus trying to unhook a bra. Yeah, uh, stuff amazing. like that. It's just surreal and it's funny and hilarious and all of it. Um, is and I love the fact that there's like the Peter Mannion character is really funny as well and uh, and it's obviously Armando Iannucci is involved in this very much his style of humour and that kind of like um, way with language that he and his writers have and uh, I've just been really enjoying it I actually was um, doing a bit of travelling in the UK over the week uh, the last week and uh, a couple of times I was watching it on the train and stuff like that it was just it's a great thing to watch to just it's all on Netflix now anyway. Yeah. You can download it to your phone. It's like got that, huge so. rewatch value as well. I Totally. You I tend to put it on if I don't know what to watch. Yeah. And the I great go thing between about, that and Alan Partridge right, for that yeah, kind of yeah. thing. And the great thing about that is, you know, you don't really need to follow the story because you can just no. 
have a laugh at the same I'd say in, in the last season you kind of need to know what's going on it gets kind of it gets very serious in the last season there's like proper I'm actually watching the last season again now yeah so, um, there's like the fourth season, real big boy acting going on in it and it's right, like yeah, yeah. it's it's really really good um, I'm probably gonna go home and watch the rest of that I, I might watch a couple of episodes tonight <laughs> yeah I didn't know that I, I knew that it had a relationship with Veep and that it was the same kind of vibe or whatever but i didn't know it was the same writers that's that's interesting yeah it's very good mm. i think there's probably some new uh some slight differences in terms of writing teams but mm. the core uh um, development team and we're going to call it showrunners are the same people mm. um, and julia julia louis dreyfus is just like one of the funniest human beings in the world yeah. like she is the hilarious other thing we noticed last night was that um there's no music in the british one where there's a lot of mm. music in in the american one and the humor is, and the characters are much more exaggerated. Yeah. In the American room, which makes sense. Yeah. American TV, but uh, it's still very, very, very enjoyable. Um, and uh, yeah, I love the fact that you never meet the prime minister or the president. Or you America. never technically know what party yeah. anyone is. I yeah, mean, you, yeah. know, you know, but you, you kind of can figure it out. Yeah. But they don't mention any kind of names. Yeah. Um, anything else you've been reading or watching or listening so to I watched, this week? Um, I watched the new episode of Game of Thrones this week. Oh, yeah. Will we do it? Oh, okay. Start the, okay. Start, start uh, the spoiler alert. Spoiler warning now. If you haven't seen the um, episode four of Game of Thrones. Episode four. The, two left. Two more left. God. They will have to be wrapping up. I was very disappointed in the episode four. Do you know, right, it's funny. I wasn't disappointed as I was watching it and then... Later on, I tried to recall what happened in it, and I could only remember like two things. One being, um, John didn't pet Ghost <laughs> before he sent him off to the north and didn't say goodbye to him, and Ghost just looked real sad and he had an ear off, and it was just really sad. Yeah, he got his ear um, bitten off by. And a, the other does one. Does that mean he got his ear bitten off by a, like a White Walker? Like. I don't know, it might have just been cut work. off or something, or th- 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 there, was, there was a lot going on. It was very dark, you see, so we, we wouldn't have <laughs> oh, yeah, been able to see anyway. Um, um, and then um, Masande, was that her name? Um, yeah. She got the old chop. Um, but yeah, I... I but I was definitely a, a character that could easily be sacrificed um, in terms of... Um, more than we were expecting, like we're expect- when we're in episode three, we were expecting so many people to, yeah. to die, and it's like, okay, fine, it's a... Yeah, it, I I just found it a bit like her, the way she was captured was left a lot to be desired and everything, you know, this has been a problem with Game of Thrones for like the past two or three seasons where everything happens really, really quickly. It's like, I think, yeah, this we're, is the oh, problem. we're, we're going to go to Westeros five seconds later, you're in Westeros and it's like, oh, I don't know about that. And yeah. then the and then capture happened. Point, like, it's going to take John another two weeks to get here. It's like. Hold on, we've have we not changed this whole thing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I like when they said they were going to reduce the number of episodes and uh, finish it at the end of uh, season eight. There was a slight worry that they were going to do this uh, mm. and just clip towards the end, and it definitely feels like okay. There was a lot of exposition, a lot of talk, uh, but none of it uh, in this episode was very um, illuminating or. Uh, useful for the characters in terms of the way we thought about them mm. the likes of Brianna Tart crying I didn't like and that I didn't like that it just I, reduced I, the, the female character to the uh, the crying um, the crying uh, maiden widow. while yeah, the yeah. while the knight goes off like she was just knighted like she was just made like uh, and I, I'm, I'm I was really happy when herself and Jamie got together I thought that was great and if 
if they'd shot that scene where she didn't cry, where she just said goodbye to him or whatever, I would have been fine with it. Um, yeah, it kind of feels like it's trying to give all the characters uh, their big final moments, or not mm. necessarily final moments, but some final um, big, you know, uh, splurge of emotion that yeah. we have not seen before. Mm. And that was why it was really good, because the restraint in what the characters were doing and saying um, is kind of gone out the window. Yeah. And it's all rushing at a fast pace we basically went from winterfell to uh, a dragon uh, being shot at and you're like what's with wooden arrows for, i didn't like that happened very quickly like it, it took so much to turn that first dragon like when when the first dragon was turned by the white walkers that was such a moment that was like oh my god they're they actually can be hurt and now it feels like they're just battering the things like they're just one of them's dead now the other one is very dead. big arrows like yeah but like I, I don't know. And the other thing that I didn't find, I didn't notice it when I was watching it, but then I read a couple of people online make the very good point of um of Sansa's scene where the hound was talking to her and saying, you know, you've 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 basically been through an awful lot of horrible stuff, you know, you've been raped, you've been beaten, you've been tortured and all that. And then Sansa's kind of reaction to it was well I'd still be a little bird if it wasn't for all of that which on on the surface level is like yeah she's getting strength from everything that she's been through and everything that's fine but I did see a lot of criticism where people were saying that it's kind of saying it's made me who I am and that's not necessarily the message that you want to be kind of sending to survivors Um, so so I, I, I thought that was an interesting point that I saw online yeah um Oh, something's playing. Um, I was going to say the other thing that happened this week was that Kanye West smiled. <laughs> he did. He did uh, smile. Um, and the reason I bring that up is because if you haven't seen it, uh, there's a good documentary on Netflix about the Met Gala called uh, The First Monday in May. Oh, I haven't seen that. Very good. Um, okay. It's from three or four years ago. But absolute stress heads on everybody in it. Yeah. Uh, it's something else. Um, very much worth watching that is on Netflix as well. The other thing I watched this week was uh, I was in Newcastle on, on Bank Holiday Monday mm-hmm. and uh, I, I found a brand new um kind of stella cinema style um cinema like an independent cinema um very fancy it was very fancy like you went in somebody came over and you bought your tickets in the bar and they bring your like drinks over um and then they tell you then the movie's starting and then you go into this like lovely theater and it's basically just lovely big couches Mm -hmm. so um it had been four at the end of a four day trip Five days, six day trip really. Five, that was my fifth day, I think. I went to Music Cork first last week. Um, so I went to that conference. Actually, that went really well. The uh, We had a another nine showcase at it. Um, the band Thumper were fantastic. Mm-hmm. We had Kid Philpa as well. Really good. Um, Happy Alone played. Um, Somebody's Child got to see a couple of things I'd never seen. We had Bono's Son playing with his band Inhaler. I that thought Bonosum was the name of a band <laughs> it for could a be. second. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it probably will be if it's not already. Um but yeah it was it's so weird to be watching um him now Elijah is his name um uh Houston obviously and mm. uh he just looks like his dad from the eighties. It's Does so he? weird. It's so weird. Obviously the songs are not quite the same as you two but like He's he's out there, uh, out there trying it. He was in Newcastle as well, actually. So I'm there. Um, also got to see Kojak a bit as well um, on in Newcastle, um, which is interesting. And I was there with the Boom, so saw a couple of their shows. London and Leeds went really, really well. But on there, we just we went to the cinema. 
Um, the only thing that was on was uh, Avengers Endgame. Oh, I think most do you like of the those people. Films? Well, here's the thing: most of the people we were, were not familiar with them, and we just decided to just go. Uh, at least one person fell asleep for the okay. entire three hours, um, and and the rest of it just watched it be be music. And I see, I seen the Avengers films, and they're mostly just terrible or like grand or like they're just not for me. I don't know. Like it's like it's not. It's just. Explosions, I don't like, get it. They're yeah, all the same film. There's just so many characters in them, yeah. and it's like, but it was so hilarious watching the people who I was with. It was like, what? What's this? There's so yeah. many characters, and it's like, this is just laughable. I don't know. Yeah, but it was like, it is now. It is on course to be the most, uh, the highest grossing box office film of all time. So, in that context, I was kind of interested to see the natural conclusion of that level of blockbuster. Um, I don't think it's going to stand up to any great. Um, greatest film of all time kind of or even in the marvel universe like i love the black panther film i thought yeah. that was brilliant and uh these avenger films are so messy because there's so many people involved in them and uh yeah. i've honestly and i include black panther in this which i liked but i've yet to be moved by a marvel film yeah well, like I, it, ha- it hasn't happened yet it's like i, I keep cons- like um referencing the likes of Lord of the Rings and the way they made you feel about their characters and stuff yeah. like that. You don't feel anything about the, these characters. Just I like just don't care. Superhero movie, like, grand, yeah, whatever. Like Captain like America as a character, I'm like, why yeah. Why do I care? And the funniest thing was like, there's been like 22 Marvel films or something like that in this universe. Somebody will probably correct me if I'm wrong. But like the most Oh, recent, they will. <laughs> the most recent one was Captain Marvel and it's Brie Larson playing Captain Marvel. And she's in it for the first in in the first half an hour and, and it was just really like oh i didn't see that film so i don't know what she's talking about okay <laughs> that sure. kind of stuff so yeah. like it's like you know you have no idea what's going on yeah. unless you've seen all of them and um, the people and that then, are it's not it. like it's a very rewarding mm. like nuanced um ending to something it's like oh you have to know all this it's like watching a it's like the a saga and it feels like a something that is sags it just sags Saga. all over it's like three hours of like oh yeah here's now yeah, explosions yeah. Oh, yeah double cross yeah and the cgi is just like it's fine it's just like it's fine yeah. there's nothing about it it's like that uncanny valley thing it's just like nothing it just looks like its own world and mm. doesn't look like any reference to reality or nothing you can really grasp or understand you know like there mm. are parts of it that are like that look like you know earth or whatever like the thing about the marvel films that i don't get is or that doesn't sit right with me is that i love action films like but what i love about action films is the the detail and the talent it takes to like carry out action sequences and to like learn how to fight and i i know people in these marvel films have like learned how to fight and they've gotten jacked and all that kind of stuff but whatever way it's actually shot and with all the CGI and stuff, I can't find anything where I can be like, oh, that's a really impressive thing that this movie star has done. It's not like watching a, I don't know, John Wick or something where you're like, holy shit, this guy is just kicking ass and taking names and he's learned how to do all these moves and everything's deadly. But it's I, just like, not I, that. I, I, it's I tried just to watch like, John Wick, for example, and I fucking hated it. But I, I just find like when, when I'm watching Marvel films, it's like watching someone fight a car. Yeah. I'm like, I don't, like, I Literally, don't. sometimes there are people fighting cars. Yeah, it's it's like, I don't understand wh- why why there's all this like movement and colour all the time. Stop blinding me and let me see what people are actually doing. Yeah. I often feel like that about um, action sequences where like I wish to just give you uh, a panoramic view of what's happening and and pull out a bit so you can actually see yeah. the two characters together and not just like these close-ups where 
It's just never-ending cuts. And I think it, it in a lot of those films, it hides shoddy editing, you know. Yeah. Um, but that's not only Marvel. I mean, Man of Steel is one of the worst edited films I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and that's DC. Uh, no, so. no interest in seeing that. Um, um, but yeah, look, uh, my my short review there of Avengers Endgame isn't going to stop anyone going to see it who was already on board. And they've probably seen it already. Yes. Uh, in fairness, it is a huge, huge uh, franchise that has come to an end, as has Game of Thrones. So there you go. Um, and that's probably it for us this week um as we've said before if you like what you hear on the podcast and you want to support us you can go to our patreon which is patreon.com forward slash nine doing a, a exclusive radio show for patreon subscribers and offering guest lists for events and uh, spotify playlists and loads of other little bits and pieces as extra content for you as incentives so do if you have a spy over to spare a month do consider uh supporting nile or nine we are an independent publication and that all goes towards our staff so uh appreciate that um i'm going to finish with a song um from uh, a waterford musician called deaf joe um only finally got around to li- listening to his new album it is called love stories he originally had released kind of an abstract folk album in 2014 called From the Heights of a Dream. Um, and this one is uh, inspired by um, time spent with uh, lovers and, and romantic partners in different parts of the world. Uh, the sounds of the ocean roaring on an Icelandic black sand beach or Ooh. swimming in Copenhagen Harbour at the height of summer or a kaleidoscopic sunset over a volcanic lake in the Philippines. All right, you've traveled, Joe. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I really like this album. It's very different than his other stuff. Uh, it does away with pretty much vocals on this. Uh, very much electronically driven, a lot of textures in favor of those kind of skyscraping uh, electronics and ambience. And I'm going to play one of my favorite songs from it. It is called uh, Ocean Beach. This is closing out the 45th episode of the current 909 uh, podcast series. Huh. Thank you to my co-host, Andrea Cleary. Thank you for having me, and, as uh, always. Yeah, we'll be back next week, as far as I'm aware. And who knows what we're talking about? Who knows who we're talking to? Who knows what we'll have listened, watched, or read this week? I'm just trying to uh, increase the... Uh, we have a very tidy um, podcast length this week, so... Uh, you what know. are we at? Uh, well, it's 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 over an hour, put it that okay, way. Okay, <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so we'll leave you with this. This is Def Joe and uh, Ocean Beach. And uh, yes, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye!
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.